to the official podcast of the Canberra Raiders. Habili off the seas out now. He puts a kick out. Croak is there against Oh, Jared Breaker! What a catch by the skipper! Come join us as we go behind the limelight. Yes, hello, another Canberra Raiders podcast for 2019. We're more than halfway through the season now, a massive show in store, huge podcast in store. The half yearly report will get CEO Donnie Ferner in, give him a bit of a grill and say what's happening so far this year and also to the future of the Canberra Raiders. We'll go back in time to 89 with a special one. The guy that didn't take part in the game as a player or coach, but took part as a commentator. The guy they used to call the bear, Ian Maurice, gents, uh, Ben Pollock, Tommy Logan, 28 points to nil. What an exciting victory for the Canberra Raiders in front of the Channel 9 cameras. Yeah, wonderful victory. Probably the, the best performance uh, from a team perspective of the season. Our third shutout. I think it's the first time in club history mm, that's happened in one season. So wonderful. the season. Wonderful effort by the boys defensively, um, particularly on the edges, I thought. Bailey Simonson, a couple of absolute bell-ringing uh, try-saving tackles to, to keep the Tigers out. And, and I think it was the 79th minute. Um, they came in numbers and Jack White and finished off David Nofaluma in the corner and the boys celebrated um, what was a fantastic victory. Just got to ask, you mentioned that exclusive news that uh, Caesar was starting ahead of Sammy Williams on our show at the radio station there. Did you get a hunch during the week about that? or was, I mean, obviously Ricky got a hunch and he Look, backed his gut feeling. It was really hard to tell because the two guys both trained together all week. Mm. Uh, with Jack away on origin duties, uh, Rick had the opportunity to train with both of them out there. And he just said after the game um, to the media, and he, and he said he just had a gut feeling mm. that uh, Sam probably needed a break. He's had some really heavy traffic coming out in the last few weeks and uh, he wanted to give Aiden an opportunity after what was a pretty solid performance against the Bulldogs from him. And Aiden, you know, he, he got his chance and he took it. And uh, and now the, the pendulum's probably flipped a bit yeah. and now Sam has to try and get his way back into the side. But this is this is great stuff for the club because having two quality halfbacks, you know, trying to get the position each week, it, it's only a good thing. Um, and they know that if they don't perform then the other guy comes straight back in. So, look, um, it's not ideal for Sammy, but Aiden's had an opportunity and he's taken it. Absolutely. It's a funny game, rugby league. Tommy Logan, a bit of a different Raiders team on Friday night. I, th- I thought they were a little bit more direct in their play and a couple of the, the, the co-commentators that I was calling the game with mentioned, gee, are they showing some new moves here this evening? I was like, no, these are the shapes that they run all week. But for some reason, they played more direct. And I was watching... Aiden's performance, and I watched it again during the week uh, with the replay on Foxtel, and sometimes as a half you can look look too lateral and look where you're guiding the team around and forget to look in front and what the defensive line's presenting. But he was looking straight straight ahead. You know, he put on that try, uh, put on Rappiner's try, where he went straight through that middle, you know, shaped a kick, found the gap, put the try on, and, of course, snuffed out the intercept. He had a blinder, as Benny said. League's a funny game, you know. Williams had the upper hand for five weeks. Just one game took his opportunity, and now it's with lack of a better word, advantage Caesar. Yeah, suddenly Ricky Stewart now has a selection headache on his hands in the in the halves. Like Ben said, that's awesome problem to have. Um, I think, you know, the, there's that pressure on both Sam and Aiden now that, you know, whereas if they even have a slightly off game, you know, they're, they're at risk mm. of losing their position. So great problem to have within the club. You talk about being more direct. I thought there was no better example of that than Ryan Sutton's performance mm. on the weekend. Uh, I don't know what it is about him, but he just seemed to be a much better player when he starts the game. Yeah. Uh, and I asked him about this in our media um, 
uh, opportunities through the week. He said that it normally takes him about 10 to 15 minutes to get into a game, to get himself into it. He finds that if he comes off the bench, suddenly he, he tries to do a little bit too much because yeah. he's, he thinks he's only got a limited opportunity out in the field. So, I mean, I love, I love it when he starts the game and I think he adds a lot of value. Um, and he got the chance because obviously Josh Papali came back from origin. Um, Rick decided to start him on the bench with Dynamis Louie. Um, they obviously play as a good partnership out there on the field together usually. So mm. Nami came off the bench as well and it gave Ryan Sutton uh, the opportunity to start the game with Sia. Uh, and I thought they did a wonderful job. And then um, when you've got a guy like Josh Papali coming on uh, 20 minutes into the game in the middle of the field, um, it's a pretty good luxury to have. So um, I thought um, Sato and Sia both set the platform for us. Well, I think Sato has that, that really high work rate, which allows him to kind of start... I thought Dynamis Louis was great off the bench. He just we talked about him last we week. We spoke about him last he week. He doesn't get the accolades. Nah, he doesn't. He but just turns just, up with his boots every week and does the job. He's that guy on the team that he just turns up, does his job, doesn't really do anything special, but he does a lot of the hard work that a lot of fans might not necessarily see. him. what more can you ask from a player? We spoke to Sia too about his role in this team and how mm. it's changed. I mean, when he first came here, he was an eighty-minute back rower, and now he's a you know thirty, forty-minute impact front rower uh, and you know, like I said he, he got us off to a great start on the weekend and the Tigers just couldn't handle us through the middle of the field we just kept um, punching holes in them and and that gave us those opportunities um, you know we scored a couple of tries that um, the bounce of the ball went our way I couldn't believe tries. how much luck we had on the night it's like we all the luck that we'd lost yeah. for the first 11 weeks was all absorbed into one game um, an IOU. and we yeah we got everything go our way um, and, it, and it showed on the scoreboard I mean that first try where Elliot flicked it up for Bailey Simonson I mean, the one where Nick Hotrick um, back heels it in yeah. for Rapana I mean those things don't happen very often but when no. they do geez it's good to watch Gents, they talk about a good winger is, yes, they can score them. You've got to be able to stop them. Bailey Simonson. Mm. A couple of, there was a good situation there where the Tigers got over the line. It was all money to score. Isa Masters is strong too. Holds, strong he, held, holds him up. You know, he's only you know a dozen games into first grade. Simonson is going to be a star. He's a great well, kid, isn't he? Well, I'll tell you what. It's quite, like I know this is going to be a bit of a big call, but uh, Bailey played in front of the New Zealand coach on Friday night and he would have been licking his lips well, after that performance. He hasn't done himself... Any disjustice service and there. Then, that's right. I mean, Charles Nickel Clocks, that's the other one that probably comes into calculations there well, as well. Well, the back three, you've got wraps in there as well. That's right. So it could the be a back, back three. three. Yeah, that's yeah. right. But I thought Bailey was outstanding. Uh, you know, obviously, um, really hard for Ricky to make the call to leave Michael Oldfield out of the team yeah. because he's experienced and he's been playing some very good footy as well. So the, the tough call had to be made on who was going to miss out. Um, obviously, it was touch and go in the lead up with whether or not Nick was going to play, and Aldi was on standby again. And Nick gets through at the eleventh hour and and mm. has a really solid game too. Young Starling, that uh, big tackle he put on the, yep. the big Tiger forward, and just he just looks so at peace around the ruck there. It's just like these guys are just coming in and are really buying in, aren't they? Well, that's what it's all about. It's yeah. all about that team first mentality, uh, and we've got that in spades. And and the confidence too, like for these young kids to come in. And we spoke about it in past episodes. The defence, they just look so at home in defence. If there's a mistake or if someone runs out in the line to kill a play, it's like, no worries, boys, we regroup. And it's not even those one more set calls. It's just everyone knows this unspoken language that we're going to get them. And they all they all get around each other as well. You know, if somebody makes a mistake, they, you know, pat, them, pat the other player on the back and, you know, just say... Just forget, forget about, about it. it. Just move on. Right. You, you, you can't dwell on it and, you know, forget about it and move on. Let it go. Gents, Thursday night football. I think it's our second one in about three years, but we've got one. 
against the Sharkies for round 14 at GIO Stadium, match day sponsor. VB, match day sponsor this Ooh, weekend, bringing you all the action down there at GIO on a chilly <laughs> Thursday fact, night. I've got I'll one tell you now. what, though, I've got a good feeling about this one in terms of a, a crowd. I mean, yeah. Thursday night's a bit of a graveyard shift in terms of crowds. Um, but, you know, the way that the team's played the last couple of weeks, particularly free-to-air last Friday night, I think a few more might come out this weekend. I think we'll see a healthy crowd, and I hope that they do because the the, the, the atmosphere uh, makes a massive difference, as we saw in an away game last week. Yeah. Um, we were at the game, and, and afterwards, I mean, the fans were doing the Viking clap in the corner, and it yeah. was just booming around the ground. Um, our fans can smell something special, and I, I hope that they come out in numbers. What, were they, what songs were they singing during the game? They were the basically chants? singing um, the old one from the Remember the Titans. Na 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 na, hey hey hey, goodbye to yeah. any Tigers fan that left early. Okay. So every time a Tigers fan stood up to walk out, knowing so were, that his team was dusted, they would sing that. All right, well the Tigers guys leaving early, were they? There's a couple other chants there. Couldn't quite make them out, but it was a hell of an atmosphere. And let's be honest, and we'll talk to Don about this when he comes on. That stadium, mm. first class, and that's um, a facility like that here in Canberra would just be amazing. Put Suncorp and Amy Park in the mix. Is that the best stadium for rugby league in Australia? Oh, I think Suncorp, as a, in terms of magnitude of what it can deliver, you know, fifty odd thousand people, atmosphere, seating, facilities, it's probably still number one. But in terms of a smaller boutique venue, mm. you know, thirty thousand people, um, this will be hard to go past. And you know, they've got Allianz Stadium being redeveloped. They've got a reconfiguration of ANZ Stadium coming up. Sydney's just going to have these three wonderful venues mm. and it's time for us to maybe hopefully get something here. Mouth-watering contest, the Sharks, they always seem to come to Canberra and really pull their socks up. They're confident against us down here. They've, they've won they've six won, of their last game. They've the won most of them. Here. We seem to beat them over there, but they seem to beat us down here. The Raiders and the Sharks have developed a bit of a rivalry too over the years and it's going to be a mouth-watering contest. Two form teams as well. Yeah, you'd be mad to not come out and watch this game on Thursday night. I know it's probably not the ideal time slot, but two sides battling for top four. Uh, recent rivalry. We all mm. we all remember the um, infamous game in 2016, the, the Mick Ennis Vikings. Well, he's on our he's, side now. He's now on the right side, thankfully. <laughs> um, but uh, the Sharks are just one of those teams that you look at their team and they're just stacked with quality well, players. Well, I, think I think it goes back further, I think it goes back to that... 2012 final where yes. Papali and Gallon yeah. went at it. Yes. A young Josh Papali mm. was putting it over the old bull Paul Gallon on that on that occasion, and we we had that massive win uh, in a home final in front of an almost sellout stadium. Mm. So the rivalry is definitely very strong, uh, and like you said, the teams coming into form. We always seem to get these teams when their players come back. I don't know yeah. what it Sean is, but Johnson. Wade Graham back last week. Yeah. I think Sean Johnson will be very short to play. This weekend, so look, there's an opportunity. There's an opportunity to test ourselves against another big team, like we did against the Roosters and the Rabbitohs. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't get the points on that occasion. So to to get a big scalp this weekend to be pretty special, considering we've still got a handful of stars on the sideline. Okay, Ben Pike, what do you got for us this week, mate? Our behind the limelight crystal ball predictions. Very close last week. I backed Croker mm. to get his double. Um, and equal Jason Croker's try scoring record. Uh, I think he'll do it this weekend. Not only does he score a try uh, to make it 120, he gets a double to go past at 121 in what will be his 244th appearance for the club, which puts him on equal terms with Laurie Daly 
mm. and makes him second overall to Jason Croker in terms of uh, club matches played. So another big weekend for the skipper. He just, I don't know, it seems every second week he's ticking off some sort of record. 700 goals last week. Wow. You know, almost 120 tries. So uh, I'm going for him to, to come through this week. The perfect environment to do it as well on a Thursday night with a win against the Sharks. Tommy Logan, what do you got, mate? Yeah, I don't know why, but I've just got a feeling Joe Tarpanay is due for a really big game against uh, the Sharks. So I, I just have a feeling that he's going to cross over for a try. I agree there. He was um, he was getting better yeah. again last week, and his impact again um, was was pretty big. So he's warming into it. He takes two or three weeks to get back into it after yeah. an injury. So I think this is the one where we'll, I agree he'll be out there. Well, Ricky also said in the press that he can take about 10 to 15 minutes to get himself in the game as well. But he came out on fire. might have been a bit of a rev up from the coach. For me, we all we all knew it was going to happen. Jack White and an absolute blinder coming on the back of that afterglow of his Origin debut. I think he's going to go up a level. I think he's going to really play a big role in our win on Thursday, and for him to score at least at least one meat pie. Here's one for you to back it up. Can he then push for a starting spot in Origin two? Yeah, what are your thoughts there? You know, Cody Walker was yeah. obviously under a bit of pressure there uh, for South Sydney. So if Jack can have a big game, I think he can do it. Well, I think Cody's good enough to still be there, but they can swap around. But Jack at starting at six, and then Cody can be 14, and then maybe Wayne Graham at 15. <laughs> <laughs> We're now mid-season of the NRL. Time to check in with the boss. See you, Don Ferner. Good day, Donny. Good morning, Nick. How are you? I'm very good, Donny. Bring your mind back to the Christmas table, sitting around a turkey. And if someone said to you, okay... Well, round 13, we'll have no Hodgson at times, no Johnny Bateman at times, Tarpany and Rapana will be in and out, a few suspensions, but you'll be sitting fourth on the ladder. Would you take it? Look, <clears throat> to be brutally honest, absolutely. Um, very, very pleasing to see the young guys that have come in and, and Rick's rotated them really, really well. It's uh, another feather in the cap of our development guys um, because you do not know how they're going to go until they, they get put up there and... Some of them, you know, they were put up there against against Brisbane, you know, against South, against the Roosters, against, you know, seasoned veterans and, and rep players and um, they really stood up. And then and then like we did in 16, we made a few signings that were unheralded. You know, mm. Ryan Sutton wasn't known, Chance wasn't known and when they bubble up and repay the faith and show everybody that they can be NRL players, it's really, really pleasing. Just Just on that too, a lot of the questions asked about without going too much down a rabbit hole, but your role as a CEO, obviously the coaching staff, Peter Mulholland, of course, uh, recruitment manager, all come together. When you spot a potential player that can come and fill a hole or do a job, how does it all stay? What's the initiation? What's the whole process to getting a player from one club to the Canberra Raiders? It can go quick or it can go slow. So uh, there are a few people involved. For example, a, a player from England, um, you know, it could be anyone. It could be Andy McFadden. It could be Brett White. It could be Pete. Say, so, listen, why don't you have a look at um, Joe Blow, he'd be perfect as a front rower. Then we get all the footage we can on him, the stats we can on him. Um, it even goes down to now looking at their social media. Then we do background for a character checks. Check. Yeah. Character checks. And for example, with Chance, Nick or Clodstad, it was outstanding to have Andy McFadden here mm. because he tells you what, what they're really like. He sees them at training every day when he was at the Warriors and, and he could give him a massive rap to Rick. Because you don't know, he only played four or five first grade games. But then when you speak to somebody that had worked alongside him, I know Rick did that a couple of years ago um, with Josh Hodson and Elliot Whitehead. Spoke to the coaches over there. He also spoke to Nathan Brown, and you get you you really do get the honest feedback then because they're not you know, your competitor for that player. Mm. Um, so yeah, you do the background checks, and 
you still don't know until they come and fit into the squad and fit in fit into the to, to, with the players on and off the field. Um, but I think we, by and large, get it right a lot more than we get it wrong. But also the process too. You might be chasing a play and you put all this hard work in, and then you mightn't be able to get that fish. Absolutely, that's happened to us a lot. We've been let down. You know, we've had we've had them backflip on us. We've had them flying into the to the airport and go out to meet them and then get a call from their agent saying, listen, he's decided not to come, all that sort of stuff. It's, um, you know, it, it, it's very frustrating, particularly when you're told yes and then mm-hmm. something happens. So that's why we never say anything until we get it on the, signed on the dotted line because you know, there is a lot of working through the agents who are also working with other clubs um, and it's it can be a very frustrating process or it can be a quick one. So... When down the line would you actually speak to the individual? I know you go through management, but is there yeah. a time where yeah. Ricky might give him a call or oh, something? No question. And, and absolutely that's number one in our thing is that the coaching staff get to meet them. We like to bring them down here. And my sort of rule of thumb always is when I say to an agent, listen, we'd like to get him down here and show him around and show him the houses in Canberra and show him what the facilities look like. Generally speaking, if they go, oh, yeah, look, I'll get back to you on that, they're not interested mm. because you wouldn't move to a club. It's like taking a job somewhere if you couldn't be bothered going down and looking yeah. where you're going to live. So that's always been... Pretty a, transparent. Yeah, it's always a very good rule of thumb. The hard work continues that because once you once you build your squad and if you have some success, then the next stage is keeping that squad because obviously with success comes form and, and players you know demanding more money and things like that. How do you, how do you manage that side of things? Uh, it is the most difficult thing to do is managing the salary cap and every team has the same issues, you know, pick up the paper and see other teams with success, they're under pressure. At the back end of 16, um, we were under big pressure with our salary cap because guys that had come out, you know, the guys that were unheralded had gone really well. Mm. So you become a bit of a victim of your success, you do, don't you? At the end yeah. of that year, we had to let Paul Vaughan go. No one wanted to do that. Edric Lee go and mm. Sean Fensom go. And, and even this year, now we've had those injuries to those players you mentioned. The guys that come up underneath and play first grade, deservedly earn more money their contracts next year have kickers that 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 um that have uh clauses in there that 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 sees them earn more money than this year and it puts pressure on the cap then so um you know we've got five or six debutants this year and some of them have played a lot more football first grade than we probably would have anticipated at the start of the year likewise nick cotrick jack and certainly josh had played origin before but those two um, bubbled up and, and got selected for Origin, and, and there's there's clauses in there. So all that sort of adds pressure to to the salary cap, um, and it's constantly a fluid thing. It's literally weekly because every week teams pick certain players have match fees in there, certain players have you know bonuses in there for playing more than ten games first grade. This every contract is is very different. I wish it was just all uniform because it'd be easier to run. But the salary cap is a very very difficult beast. Is that the crux of your job? Tinkering with the cap, uh, that, possibles yeah. and pro- probables yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And, and it changes weekly. So where we thought we were at the start of the year um, for our salary cap for 2020 is way different to what it is now. Do you have to leave some wiggle room at the, in the, in the cap to. to try to? I mean, obviously yeah. you're trying to fill a squad and you're trying to get the players and every player wants the right price. Do you, yeah. What do you, so what you, you do, do in there? If you can, you do. And we have for, you know, we've still got 30th of June to sign a 30th player. So at the end of this month... Um, that sometimes there'll be some movement just before 30th of June so we've got one spot in our top 30 left we might do that internally now once we're getting a few players back from injury but we kept it there in case you know we 
we had long-term injuries and we needed to buy a player in. But um, it, that might be done internally that we bump a player up, give him um, give him some more money and push him into the 30s position. But as I said, you know, people don't sort of really understand the salary cap, but it, it changes every week. Because, it, you know, the one thing I see in my role is like I'm right across the, the talk of the fans, you know, through social media and forums and things like that, and they see um, a player come on market and they go, great, Raiders should sign that guy. Yeah. It's not that easy, is it? No, no it's absolutely not. And, um, you know, we've always been a development club. Um, if you look at, you know, we haven't signed any massive name players. Even going back in 16... No one really knew Josh Hodgson or Elliot Whitehead. Mm. Um, we picked up Joe Tarpany and Junior Paulo throughout the year. You know, I mean, they were they'd played a bit of first grade, but they weren't superstars. We we aren't a club that um, goes out there and signs a million dollar player. We've developed them. We've developed Nick Kotrick and Jack White, and they're both Origin players now. We don't go and buy the rep players. Um, I think the last rep player we bought was Mal Meninga. But having said that, as as Benny mentioned, the fans don't understand once you become a rep player, you get a manager on the, on the year saying, "Look, I think he's worth a bit more now." And you look at blokes like Bailey Simonson, like you might you might get a call from the management saying, "Well, I think he's worth this much now." You you must get those calls a fair week. bit. Yes, it's it's every week. It's it's you know it's a business for the agents. And How much is the agents? Influenced the game now in the modern uh, age. It's very agent much, driven, in isn't my it? Opinion, yeah, yeah, too much. But um, you know they've. That's their job. It's like a real estate agent trying to get the most money for the house they're selling. Um, and, you know, I understand it because players know it's not like you know, most people's jobs where you have a career of 30, 40 years. They've got a very short lifespan in terms of the game. I think the average is three and a half to four years, mm. average. Lucky ones get 10 out. So they know that they, you know, they've got to make hay while the sun shines. So, but that pressure is always there. You talk about bringing players down, showing the facilities. One thing you'll be able to do in, in less than 12 months' time now is show them this new um, Centre of Excellence at Braddon. Give us an update on how things are progressing there. Yeah, so um, we're about probably five months away now. It's coming out of the ground. Um, it's been a five-year plan of ours to go back to our spiritual home. And um, funnily enough, the players that we have been talking to about coming here next year, we have sent them um, plans of the, the, the Centre of Excellence on a on a, uh, a um, data stick and sh- to show them, listen, when you join us next year, this is what you're going to be in. Um, I know I have Jared Craig always asks me every week how it's going because he's been on the journey for a long time and says, I'm, you know, I've been at this, I've been out here at Bruce for a long time and I say to Jared, so have I. It's perfect time for a change. So we're looking forward to going in there come the end of the year. Uh, it will enable us to increase our programs, our women's programs, um, our junior development programs um, and keep pace with the rest of the NRL because probably two-thirds of them now have got um, new or upgraded centres um, and you know it sort of becomes a little bit of an arms race to keep up with everybody and gladly, you know, when ours is open, it'll be in the top two or three in the comp. Mm. One of the things that you've set up um, at the club to help, I suppose, the ongoing um, support and um, facilitation of these programs that you talk about is obviously we've got the, the $20 million there from the two governments, New South Wales ACT and then from the, the CDRL itself. Um, but you've got uh, this foundation set up now, the Raiders Foundation, which uh, will launch this week, um, actually. So it's timely to talk about it. Uh, tell us a bit about the foundation program and what, and what that's going to look like for the club. Yeah, look, the Australian Sports Foundation was set up by the federal government 
um, ironically located just down the road at the AAS. We had been speaking to them for years. Uh, they had been showing us what other sports are doing, in particular the AFL are, are outstanding at it. And I kept saying to this airless, we, we just need a project to start with. You know, once we got a project, we can then launch a foundation. So um, the Braddon project is that project. And yes, Waltz will get the um, Centre of Excellence up. It's the running costs of the, the centre that need to keep happening and for those programs that we run it needs to be funded so the Australian Sports Foundation is a tax deductible entity that is there um, I think when they first looked at how much was raised through foundations for the arts for example um, you know, it was tenfold of sport so they launched it and now they're growing and um, those that want to donate to any community programs that we run can do it through the Sports Foundation um, so we're, we're launching it on Thursday afternoon and um, it will encompass um, a, a stone and a foundation stone that gets laid into the Centre of Excellence um, reception area, which is a, a once-only chance. It's a, it's a once-in-a-lifetime chance to, to put your name down in, in stone and uh, it stays there forever. And as I joke with some of our board and Rick, it's OK for Ricky Stewart because his name's going to be in stone um, in the new centre, but for us mere people, so we want to etch our name in, in, in history there, we've got to buy one of these stones and um, you know, you know there's, there's a lot of interest in it. Um, you see it at schools where you walk past and there's family foundations that have bought a plaque at a school. It's similar to that, but it's going to be a, uh, a lovely uh, marble tile in, in the... Um, in the reception area. I could see Raider Nick on one of those stones. You've got a 25 yeah. grand laying well, I'm, around. I'm still trying to look for my own <laughs> picture of the Inquimia next to Ricky's uh, mural there. Donnie, just a basic question. Where does it take the Canberra Raiders moving forward? You mentioned about injecting into the community, but just even the office space, the facilities in performance, Is it looks like it's just going to go up a one one big level. Everyone's excited to see Benny excited to get into that whole new media suite and whatnot. It's exciting times. Where is it going to take the Canberra Raiders? So look, what a lot of people don't see, Nick, is what we do below the NRL team. So there is the NRL team, there is our um, State Cup team, there is our under-20s team, there is our under-18s team, our under-16s team. There's also another six development squads just playing in Raiders colours. Underneath that, we have the Canberra District Rugby League competition, which is under-sixes through to, to, to first grade for local clubs, and that includes clubs across the border in Yass, Queanbeyan, Goulburn, Cooma. Um, they all play in our competition. That's all run and administered by us, funded by us. So it's a massive... And at the moment, some of those programs are run out of out of Belconnen or some of them are run out at, at, uh, at Braddon and some are run at Queanbeyan. So for us to bring it all under the one roof will enable us to run all our programs, all our staff and all the resources out of the one area. So that'll be a huge boost for us. Uh, it'll also enable us to showcase what we do a bit better right in the middle of Civic and... and People don't see at night time all the, all the programs that we're running with, with kids and, and that's just the sports side of it. We, we do run a lot of community programs, um, for everything from domestic violence to men's link to, to Indigenous health programs. Um, it's, it's a department in itself out here now mm. and it needs funding and we do get funding for it, um, but it needs to be resourced and um, you know, for us to hold an Indigenous carnival there in, in Braddon, for example, we'll be able to administer it right in, there in the city and... Um, you know, our girls' teams as well require those facilities. So at the moment, they haven't got any. So um, it will be a massive kick along. Um, of course, it does um, require massive resources and funding to, to, to keep it going, and that's what we're doing with the foundation. The steps 
logically then, you know, obviously things are on the right foot and tracking in terms of the Camperators and where they want to go. Um, it's timely that we had the opportunity to go to Bankwest Stadium for the first time uh, on Friday night. We played the Tigers there and I think the Brumbies played the Waratahs on the Saturday. So two Canberra teams had the chance to play at the new venue. Don, you were there, I were there. It was an amazing experience from a spectator perspective to watch that game uh, and encompass everything that that stadium has to offer. It is, and it's only when you go to other stadia and see, you know, everyone knows what Suncorp's like, everyone knows what Melbourne's like, fantastic, all in the centre of town. Adelaide's got a new one, Perth's got a fantastic new stadium. It's all all coming back into the centre of town, even regional areas like Townsville are coming back into the centre of town. Parramatta is a regional city. It's got a fantastic stadium in the middle of town, and it's where we need to be. I, a couple of years ago, went to a State of Origin game at... Um, at the Docklands in Melbourne, and it had the roof on it. It was wet and cold, and I remember going in there thinking, "Wow, how good is this? You know, it'd be fantastic for us." I mean, you, you know, we all know what the winters are like here in Canberra, and we're asking young families to sit out there in the cold, and you know, you are competing. We are competing with, you know, the plasma screen TV that people have got the in their lounge rooms, and the heaters <laughs> that people have got in their lounge rooms, and you know, the the footage that Fox and Channel Nine have, um, and the access that they have of of a, of a standard game of, of NRL now is phenomenal um, and you know, it used to be you had to go to the game to get to get to see the game that close and to, 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 to touch it and feel it and you still need to do that because it's never the same unless you're there at the game but the, um, the alternate is a very good option and um, we need to make sure that the game day experience becomes something that you can't get in your lounge room. Um, and but it also has the comforts um, of your lounge room, and mm. you know, in, in terms of the screen, the replay screens, the seating, the the, the um, food and beverage outlets, the corporate hospitality facilities, it's it's keeping pace with what everybody else is doing because the entertainment industry that we're in is is fast changing, and consumers and fans' tastes change. They go to those stadiums in Sydney uh, to watch other games, mm. and they go, "Wow, how good is it there?" And then all of a sudden, ours doesn't look as good. It must be nice, though, to see the team performing well because off the back of that, um, some other things that, uh, are happening which are, which are positives for the club. We're, I think we're, gonna, we're on track to break a membership record for the third year in a row. We're also seeing crowds of you know, 16, 17, 18,000 people at home games. That must be encouraging in terms of, of showing that you know, the game day experience is still something that's a bit unique and something that people can come and enjoy. Yeah, look, you, you sit down in our marketing meetings, Ben, you know that the marketing team's done a fantastic job of, of um, doing up the forecourt, giving you that atmosphere when you come in. Um, the halftime entertainment that we do, you know, the Viking clap and, and the horn to set it off, it's all become something unique to come to. And um, I know families that take their kids to the football because they just want to do the Viking clap. So the team have done a fantastic job, as, as has the on-field team. In, in playing good football, of course, but um, you can't win every game. So if, if you can offer um, that great game day experience, you'll still have loyalty of your fans. And I've said this many times over the years, I think our fans are the toughest in the NRL because they sit through 35 degrees in the start of the year in summer and you know zero degrees of a night game in winter. So we do have those massive um, variances and... Um, our fans have been loyal to us for a long time and that's why you'll always find the players thanking them. You'll always find Rick thanking them and acknowledging them at the, uh, the corner of that stadium on the weekend. Um, it sounded like our home game because our fans got up and did the Viking clap mm. and uh, the, the uh, West Tigers fans weren't, weren't, weren't heard. So 
even just in that corner for our away fans was fantastic. And that's probably the venue again. I mean, that was there was a fair contingent of Raiders fans there. Let's not be, let's not um, hide that fact. But the, the the sound that that made in that stadium because it's built as an epi, as a bit of a theatre rather than just a football ground. I mean, imagine having that with thirty thousand Raiders fans. Just there. on that, just on that. Sorry to cut you off, Ben. For the, for the fans that are yearning for this stadium, and you mentioned it over the years, Ricky mentioned in the press quite in detail, what would be the blueprint for this to happen? Would it be you, the Raiders teaming up with the Brumbies and other kind of sports that we can attract an opportunity for the for funding for this, something to run through the summertime? What would the slight blueprint be on a business perspective for this to be a reality to make it happen? It is definitely about the finances, um, you know, Stadia today now are multi-purpose. It can't just be there for us and the Brumbies. It, 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 Jimmy Barnes loves to come it, here. That, that's Johnny right. Farnham. We, we miss out on those concerts in Canberra. You know, um, so if you were a rock promoter, you wouldn't take the risk of Canberra because they can't crunch the numbers. The Whereas numbers. you have a big stadium, stadium with a roof over it. You are you are guaranteeing. You're sort of, you know, you're um, insuring against bad weather. So you do hold obviously concerts, conferences. You know, the stadia in. In England, where the corporate facilities, the suites, turn into hotel rooms during the during the week, so wow. it is getting more than just thirty or forty days a year because obviously that the maintenance costs and the running costs are high. So you need a lot more activity there. But that activity is possible with Roost Stadia now and and location, the, the location mm. of you know businesses using it for conferences, etc. Um, so there is a lot more that can be done with a, with a, with a stadium uh, with a roof over it. Uh, in terms of the finances, clearly it's a, it's, a go- it's a government asset. It would require government, but it could also be government and private industry with super funds. So there are lots of different ways to look at it. But um, you know, all we can do is work with the government and do whatever we can to to help them get the business case up, and then see where it goes from there. All right, Tom, we'll let you go. Uh, thanks for joining us uh, for the podcast this week. I know it's a big week with the launch of the foundation Thursday night home game, and and hopefully some other exciting news around the. Uh, sponsorship front coming up as well so looking forward to a big week and uh, we'll see you down there on Thursday night thanks Ben thanks Nick celebrating the 30th anniversary of the Green Machine's epic 1989 grand final victory yes this week we have a very special guest that took part in the 89 grand final not as a player or coach but as a commentator for Channel 10, the man that voiced those classic tries scored by Chica Ferguson and, of course, the clincher by Steve Jacko Jackson, the guy that also sat in the chair, the sports desk at Channel 9 for all those overnight schools as we go back in time to 89, the guy they call Bear, Ian Maurice. G'day, mate. How are you doing? Mate, I'm awesome. Now, can you remember much of that game? Of course, you would have called a 1,000 rugby league games in your career there in Channel 10 being involved around the game, but that game was a special one, wasn't it? It was. I mean, I probably called more for nine than I did for ten. I only spent three years at ten. They continually went bankrupt, so <laughs> I ended up going back to nine after that. But yes, it looked. It, it, it was just a, a, a fantastic game, um, and my memory goes back to to uh, it was at the Sydney Football Stadium, which I think they've pulled down now mm. um, and rebuilding with something or other. But the, the the ground was quite new at the time, and it wasn't an easy place to call football from because it was so high. You were looking right down almost on the top of players' heads 
Um, but uh, I, when I hear that call all the time, I'm reminded that it took me what seemed like half an hour to figure out who got the <laughs> damn ball because uh, uh, Steve Jackson had come off the bench. Yeah. And I, th- I think he was wearing like number 19 or 20 number or something 20, like yeah. that. 20 and and you know when you, when you're not used to seeing a lot of these fellows um it took me as i say what seemed like half an hour in reality it was only a few seconds but it did t- it did take a, a little while for me to figure that's jackson and by the time i i got his name he was over the line <laughs> <laughs> but it was it looked it was a fantastic day we expected we expected Balmain to win yeah and it looked like they were going to win. The game, as everyone knows by now, from what you'll be doing, it, it went, it was uh, uh, tied up at full time and went into extra time. And then Steve Jackson with that power, that strength, that try, <laughs> grand <laughs> final. <laughs> wow. Goosebumps again already there, Ian. Look, back back at that time, I mean, you, you were sharing the main calling there with a young and up-and-coming Graham Hughes. Rex Mossop was there, and that was yeah. in the old style where you'd have – you actually commentate for a portion. I think it was about 10 or 15-minute periods, yeah. and you were fortunate enough to, to get that try, but also the, the crazy try from Chicka Ferguson towards the end there to put the game into extra time. <laughs> Indeed. I, and it was luck. I mean, you're quite right. It was. I think we did 10 minutes at a time, and when there was an appropriate place to stop and change callers, the, the, the other fellow would come on. Uh, and I was always in the middle between Rex and Graham Hughes mm. because they disliked each other intensely. Oh, wow. <laughs> and and uh, there was always a, a blue um, brewing, so I had to sit there to, to break up any, uh, <laughs> any punch-ups that might have occurred. It was a, 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 an uncomfortable time, um, but uh, when you're doing a job and you're calling football, you've got to pull that out of your mind. And, yeah, you're quite right. I did call the Fergo try, and, and then, of course, the, the Jackson one in, in extra time. Um, Tim Sheens was the coach, um, and my relationship with Tim goes back a long way. So I've sort of had a soft spot for, for Canberra because of Tim and um, Brian Hyder, who mm. is my best friend, and he, he was uh, he was involved with that, with the team at the time. So when I look look back through the program, the names you, at the time you don't realise just what legends some of these players would turn out to be. And I'm just looking at the team list now. Gary Belcher, of course. Laurie Daly and Mal Meninga in the centre. That's not a bad combination. Mm. Uh, Ricky Stewart. um, Sicky was at halfback. Uh, Glenn Lazarus. um, Dean Lance. Steve Walters. um, And Bradley Clyde. Goodness me, what a player he was. There was a young bloke called Kevin Walters on the bench for the Raiders that day. And a bloke (laughs) called Craig Bellamy that couldn't get a run. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's exactly right. What's it like for you now, Bear, 30 years down the track where you've called those massive moments in, in the game that they've touted the greatest grand final of all times? We still talk about 89 like it was yesterday. We celebrate yeah. the 30 years this year here at the Raiders. What's it like for Ian Maurice, the guy that was the voice of that game, and you're in part of those integral moments, not just for Chickas uh, Square at the end, but the match winner from this young fella called Steve Jacko Jackson that just came onto the field. Balmain didn't know anyone about him. There was no tape about him, and a beautiful little wildcard move there from Tim Sheens, but you to catch the moment, I mean, you mentioned you, you didn't know who he was, but it, geez, it didn't sound like it. <laughs> well, it's very very nice to say so, but, but uh, you say that nobody knew much about him. Well, I didn't know much about him either at the time um, because, you know, when you've got four players or three players, I think it was then, on the bench, you're concentrating on the top 13. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when they made that change late, it just took me by surprise because we didn't have the luxury of all the commentators that it, uh, that Nine has today um, to, to prompt you, you know, point to the name in the program or whatever. He was just on. 
and you have to try and pick him up yourself. But look, I look at the games today and you can't compare things. I, I, I get frustrated when people try to compare players from different eras mm. because it is such a different game today. Um, you know, they use a different football today. Um, the, 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 the on and off replacement rule, the, the, the scrum fiasco, it's, it's just a different game. And if, if you were a great player in a certain era, era then, then to me, you're a great player in any era. Well said. Ian Maurice, thank you very much for joining us on the Behind the Limelight show as we get back in time to 1989. Go the Raiders. Steve Jackson, I didn't think there was any way he'd get there, but he's got the try. What power, what strength, what a premiership. 